Good morning, you guys. It is great to be here with you. Um, we're actually going to kick off a new series called The Blessing. And um, before I jump into the, the series itself, I want to just give you a little background as to why we chose that and also give you an opportunity to respond right off the bat. Um, so we chose The Blessing coming out of looking at the life of Abraham. So if, if you haven't been with us through the past, I'd say, a few months at least, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And one of the things that we saw when God came to then Abram, but who turned into Abraham, in uh, Genesis 12, was when he called him, he said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. And so we, we know on this side of things, right, on this side of, of the Testament and the New Testament, this side of Christ coming, we know that the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, of the blessing that he received, is Christ. So as we look to Christmas, we know that that's the fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham so many years before. But we also notice that when he was blessed, there was a specific purpose for him being blessed. It wasn't just for the sake of him having this luxurious lifestyle. And as we looked at his life, uh, he did. The Lord provided a lot of riches to him, but the purpose was so that he would be a blessing to others. And so now for us, those of us who have Christ in our lives, we've received the ultimate blessing that anyone could ever ask for, the greatest blessing this world has ever known, legitimately, in Christ So we, this year, this Christmas in particular, and Bartlett is doing the same thing, we're doing a a blessing initiative, and it's the blessing. So this Christmas tree right here, um, there's a few little ornaments, but they're store-bought ornaments, which are great, but we'd like to fill this tree with ornaments that are handmade by the kids of Village Church East. So there have actually been ornaments made by these kids, and the way that these ornaments are going to get on the tree is, um, oh yes, back there you can look, Mike has some... uh, has some of them on display. And so these are handmade ornaments, and we want to get this tree filled with that. And here's the reason. What we're offering is an opportunity to purchase these ornaments for the cost of $10 each. And each ornament that's purchased um, is representative, obviously, of that $10 amount. But what it is, is it's going to go towards a food pantry here in Carroll Stream. So it's an opportunity for us, as we have been blessed, to bless and give back to our community this Christmas. And so it'd be great to see this tree not only filled with some of these store-bought ornaments, which are nice, but those handmade ones add a nice special touch, and they will remind us every time we look at it that the Lord has blessed us for the purpose of us being a blessing to others. And so that's why we're looking at this um, particular sermon series, right? We want to be a blessing. As we look at the greatest blessing, which is Jesus, we then want to go out and be a blessing to others, right? So that's a great opportunity. You can pay um, with cash or check, and after service is available back there. And this will happen, um, by back there I mean at the Connect area. Um, and this will happen throughout December, up until the 23rd. So again, each week, if you weren't prepared this morning for it, but you feel the Lord lay something on your heart, that's a great way for you to jump in and be a blessing to others in a tangible way. So that's just, I just want to make that available to you. It will be available after service and for subsequent weeks once again. So now this morning, as we're kicking off the blessing series... Um, We're going to be actually in the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke for the next few weeks, but we're going to start with Luke chapter 1. But before I jump into the text, you can pull out your Bibles if you'd like. Um, I just want to ask, have any of you ever had anticipation of of a certain event in your life, or an anticipation for how your life would play out, and then found that things didn't quite go as you had planned? Maybe God had something else planned for you in that I mean, I think if I asked us to raise our hands, every single one of us could admit that that's happened at least once. I'd imagine more than that, though. So here's, what, here's a situation in my life where that happened. 
I graduated from Moody, and uh, I thought, with my theology degree, the best thing I could do is go be a drummer for a band. <laughs> Naturally, right? So I moved to Nashville. My dad loaded up his truck. I loaded up my car, and we drove from Rockford, Illinois, down to Nashville. Um, I had auditioned for this band, and I was joining this band to play drums. And as we're driving down there, I'm anticipating so many things. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be playing drums for a band that's going to reach this world for Christ. We're going to make an impact. I'm going I'm to be traveling the world proclaiming the name of Jesus and playing my drums. And I believe so wholeheartedly in this that I thought a wise investment with much of my graduation money was to invest in a nice drum set. So I moved down there expecting this, right? I have this anticipation. I have all these plans for what the Lord's going to do when I get there. And shortly thereafter, like literally within a few weeks of arriving there, I was like, I'm not so sure if what I planned is going to come to pass the way I thought it was. So I started off, I dove in, I was drumming for six hours a day because I said, well, this is my job. I've got to hone my craft. So I'm drumming all the time. The band, we're rehearsing, we're practicing regularly, and we're planning for our tour in the spring. So we have all these ideas, we're anticipating all these things, and slowly but surely, some things started to change for us. I started to realize that maybe we aren't all aligned on on where we want to go with this band, and maybe we're not all doing exactly what I, I thought we would be doing. Maybe we have different visions for what this is going to look like. And um, just different things started happening. And I realized, not only that, but I, we're not playing. I'm not making any money. And the bank of mom and dad is not going to be around forever to loan me money to pay my rent, right? So I'm like, I don't have a job. I thought drumming was going to be my job, but there's no money coming in. So I started to realize, man, what I have anticipated and planned has not played out yet the way I think it will, the way I thought it would, the way I anticipated. And so as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see where Gabriel is coming to Mary, and he's making an announcement to her. And it's an announcement where we're going to find out as we look at the text, she was anticipating probably a very different life than what, what she found out when the angel Gabriel came to her with this message. So now let's turn to our text and read along with me. It'll be on the screen as well uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you. So Luke 1, starting in 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So in order for us to understand what's happening here. We have to look a little bit into the background, right? He starts by saying in the sixth month. Well, what does that all mean? So we can look back at verse 26 and say, okay, in the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God. So the sixth month, if you look in the previous passage, it was talking about how Gabriel went to Zechariah. Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband and also a priest. And when Gabriel went to Zechariah, he announced that his wife, who had been barren her whole life, as the text just said, was going to have a child and that she was in the sixth month of her pregnancy. That's what's happening here. So in the sixth month of the pregnancy. So we see that. But we also need to look more broadly, not only at that text, that verse itself, but what's Luke's purpose in writing this? Because that's going to help us understand why these things are included, why these details are included, and what was his approach. Well, for that, I want to look at uh, Luke 1, verses 1 through 3. I believe there should be um, a slide for that as well. Because this is the very introduction of the book. So this will tell us what Luke's setting out to do in writing this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So if we look at some of those words, and I've highlighted them here on the screen, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered these things to us. So Luke isn't writing this as if he was sitting there experiencing it firsthand. He's actually writing this from a perspective of a journalist, an investigative journalist. And so he's actually been interviewing the people who have, who have given this information to him to try and create an orderly account for Theophilus. Theophilus is a, a Grecian. He's a Greek man who's come to faith in Christ. And so he's writing with a purpose not necessarily to, uh, to resonate with the Jewish people, but to create a compelling direction for a Greek audience. But the biggest thing to look at here is the way in which he's approaching it. He's approaching it like a journalist. So he's actually interviewing these people, and it's quite possible that he might have been interviewing Mary directly. There's a lot of intimate details as we read that passage that you couldn't know if you weren't there, or at least if it hadn't been communicated directly to you from someone who was there. So as he talks about Mary's interaction with Gabriel, the only way that could be known is if Mary made that known specifically, whether to Luke or to another source that got to Luke. But we need to consider that carefully because that's the way he's going about this as a journalist. And if this is, in fact, an interview with Mary in that regard, then we know that the information that's being given is accurate. We know that it's going to be true, not only because we know that the word of God is true, but because it's coming directly from the source who is there. And so we have that as we look into this. Okay, so then we go on in verse 26. As I mentioned, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from Nazareth, uh, from uh, God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So again, the sixth month was Elizabeth's pregnancy. And then um, it says, uh, oh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So Nazareth, we all know it now, right? And we know Bethlehem now. But in this time, these aren't these big thriving metropolises, right? The, uh, the city of Jerusalem was the large city. That was the big place where people were. This is kind of a, I don't want to like podunk town for lack of a better word. This isn't like a big, huge place where people would know that. So he even says it's a city in Galilee named Nazareth. Uh, later on, it's called a town. It's not even referred to as a city. So it's not anything that's large. And so you would expect major big things to happen in big areas. But this is a lowly town to a young virgin. And that's what the text says next in verse 24. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So there have been people that have tried to argue that Jesus was not born of a virgin because the Greek word there 
can mean at times a young woman instead of purely a virgin as we understand a virgin, having been a woman who's not known a man. Um, But in this case, it's very clear, and you can tell this not only in this verse, but as we go on, it's further articulated. But here it says, to a virgin betrothed to a man. So the betrothal period, with those two words put together, betrothal is not like how we view it in our context. We have to step back from what we understand of engagement and realize this is a different thing, and our culture values things so differently as well. In this culture, a betrothal usually lasted a year. There were many reasons for this. The groom had to go prepare a place for his bride, and there were other aspects of this, but one of the reasons why it lasted a year is because the gestational period is nine months, and so they wanted to make sure this wasn't some quickie wedding to cover up a sin and a bad behavior that could have taken place. (laughs) So she's in the midst of a betrothal to Joseph at this time, and, uh, and this is uh, who the angel Gabriel comes to after Zechariah. So he just went to a priest, right? And this priest was in there uh, during an offering of incense, and everyone was outside of there. He was in there by himself when Gabriel came to Zechariah. Now he's coming, now Gabriel is coming to a lowly virgin girl. Not anyone who has notoriety, nothing specific about her, that would be expected. You know, people might expect, oh, he's a priest, he's connected to God. It makes sense that he would have had that experience with an angel. But this lowly, humble girl, why her? Well, it's interesting because the text begins to talk about that. In fact, let's move on then to verse 28. And he came to her and said, this is Gabriel coming to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In the midst of this troubling greeting that she's receiving, she's troubled by it, right? The text says that. But we see that Mary is going to need to trust in him even though she doesn't fully understand, even though this isn't what she anticipated. And so that's our first point this morning. When God changes your plans, trust in him. When our plans are changed, we need to trust in him. So again, uh, Mary, when you look at that text, you can go on and and pull that up. He came and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This is interesting because in our English, it doesn't quite convey what's happening here. We wouldn't expect this to be anything out of the ordinary. Greetings, O favored one. But in the Greek, both greeting and favored one come from the root word charis, which means grace. And so it's essentially coming, uh, it's, it's it's a structure that's intentionally used to emphasize the grace that she's receiving in this moment. Greetings, O favored one. Now, the normal conventional greeting in the Jewish culture in that time would be shalom, which means peace. And so there's a reason why this greeting is troubling to her. It's an unusual way to greet someone. Generally speaking, in that time, if a Jewish person was to greet another Jewish person, or really if anyone was to greet this Jewish person, that's how they would have said it. They would have said peace, said shalom. But here she's hearing grace or this greeting, O favored one, O one who has grace. The Lord is with you. And then we see in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's interesting because in other places, when we look at angels coming to people and making proclamations, what we find is the people either cower in fear, they tremble in fear, or they bow down to worship these angelic beings because it's unlike anything they've interacted with. What Mary is troubled with isn't specifically that Gabriel's there. There's no mention of her being afraid because it's him. She's troubled by what was said. She's trying to make sense of what that means. And I think in our society, we don't really understand in our context 
we're this side of the cross. We're this side of the resurrection. And so we don't understand when he said the Lord is with you, that's normal for us. We understand as those who've trusted in Jesus that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that we have the Holy Spirit within us. They wouldn't have had that understanding. In the Old Testament, that wasn't how the Lord worked. Prior to Christ, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but it wasn't the sealing that we experienced. It was a different thing. And so she's troubled by this. What does that mean, that the Lord is with me? What is that going to mean for me? And then the angel says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So again, two verses earlier, greetings, O favored one. Here you've found favor. He is hammering home the idea of the grace that she has received. That favor, again, comes from the root word charis. It's about, fa- it's about grace. You have received grace with God. And it's interesting because when we look at our lives, we have also received great grace. In fact, our grace is, is on par with the grace that Mary received. And that's hard for us to consider because she gave birth to Christ. But we have other traditions. You look at the Catholic tradition in particular. There are other backgrounds where they try to make Mary out to be something that she frankly isn't. And I don't say this to demean her. Her her part was very significant. But her part was significant because God gave her that grace, not because of something intrinsic within Mary, not because of something inherent within her. It's because of God's favor bestowed upon her, because of his gracious work to her. And brothers and sisters, that's the same thing that we receive. We receive the grace of the Lord, not because of anything within us, but because of his gracious gift to us, because of his sovereign hand bestowing it upon us. He didn't call us to himself because we would make a good Christian. He called us to himself and then transforms us through his spirit because he's gracious and because he loves us and he wants to display his glory in us. It has nothing to do with us in and of ourselves. It's all about making much of Jesus and that's what's happening here. It's making much of the Son of God. So that's exactly why Mary was favored. Her idea of being favored, again, it had nothing to do with her and I want to make that clear because that's the same reality for each of us has nothing to do with us individually. It has to do with the greatness and the favor of our Lord. And so Mary's hearing these things and she's not understanding. And, and really, it doesn't even spell out here that she's trusting yet, right? She's troubled at the saying, trying to discern what the greeting might be. But what we'll find later on is that she's choosing to trust in him through this, ta- through this passage, through everything that's being said. Um, and then this actually will lead us then into the next passage, the next portion of the text, which is going to be calling us to count on him. So not only do you need to trust in him, but you need to count on him. We need to count on him, just as as we see Mary will do. So now here's the explanation from the angel Gabriel. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So I want to look at that first verse, verse 31 there. Um, and it says specifically, um, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Well, Jesus, uh, some of us, maybe some of you know this already, but it translates into Yeshua, which comes out of also, you might be familiar with the name Joshua or Yahashua. Yeshua means God saves. And so we see that this is the name that she's been told to give to her son. And this, we think of that as like, you know, no one else could be named Jesus. It was actually not an uncommon name because Joshua, it had the same root, the idea that God saves or God delivers. 
But it's interesting because we hear that and we understand. We see it through the lens of the cross and through the lens of the resurrection. We see it that way. But you have to put yourself in the mindset of Mary at this time. They didn't have a full understanding. The Israelites, they weren't fully comprehending what this meant. See, they were looking for a Messiah who would come and deliver them from the oppression of other peoples. They were anticipating that this Messiah who was to come was going to rule forever and bring peace to them ruling forever in this life, ruling forever in this world. There wasn't a category in most of their minds, if any of their minds, that the Messiah was going to be saving us from the bondage of our sin. Their idea was more that the Messiah was coming to save them from the bondage of other men, not from the brokenness internally. And so this is saying something more than, you know, again, we see it as God saves, God delivers. We get it. We get it through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the cross, because we're this side of it in history. But they would not have had this anticipation. At this point, Mary would have seen it like most other Jewish people. Now, she would probably understand at this point that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, but understanding what that would mean and the greatness that that blessing actually was would have likely been lost on her. She wouldn't have fully understood what that meant. And we can see evidence of that later on on the road to Emmaus when Jesus explains after his resurrection to those disciples of his, he explains how all the scriptures pointed to him because even the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand what was happening. And so, again, we have the blessing of hindsight. They didn't have that. At this point, they understood it to be only for a temporal basis. They understood it to last forever in this world, in this life, with really no category for an eternity in a new heavens and a new earth, which is what we understand now. So I want to actually go back earlier. Um, Chris read it from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And I want us to read through that again, but try to put yourself into the mentality of an Old Testament Jewish person who's reading this. I know it's hard to do, but try to think of this through a lens of, not understanding what we know now of who Jesus was. And just hear this prophecy that was proclaimed. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that passage, which we all know is a messianic prophecy, we understand that to speak of eternity with Christ. That's not what they would have understood at this point. They would not have seen it in that way. That's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem, because they missed it. They missed that that was the point. They, you know, and if I look at it from that perspective... The verbiage, the government will be upon his shoulder. I'm thinking of it in that regard, right? I'm thinking, okay, government. Our government rules over the people. And I'm, you know, there would be no category in my mind if that's what all of culture was telling me. My understanding would be this is the way it would come. And I could read Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those terms should be understood to speak of an eternal king. And I don't mean just one who reigns from this point forever. I mean past, present, and future. True eternity, not just from this point on. But they could have seen that as superlatives, as, as hyperbole, really, as them, oh, he's going to be so powerful, he'll be at this level. There could have been mistaken understandings like that. So the anticipation would not have been what we anticipate. And I find it interesting, too, when you're looking at him counting on, uh, on Mary having to count 
on the Lord in this time. Um, when, when Gabriel went to Zechariah, Zechariah asks, when Gabriel says, he, he tells him, your wife, your barren wife in her old age will conceive a child, will conceive a son, and he will be great. He says, how will I know this? And do you guys know what happens to Zechariah at that point? Yeah, he's muted. Because he wasn't believing. He was basically doubting what the angel was saying to him. He questioned the angel in that. Here's another example of the great grace that Mary was shown, that she wasn't quieted. The angel gives her the explanation and doesn't mute her from that point. It's a very interesting thing to just show her response. Now, maybe the attitude was different. That could be something that's lost in translation. Maybe he's saying, how will I know this as in how can I believe you? With her, there's an earnest desire, it seems, to understand what this means, but she's confused and perplexed. So it could be something to do with her response. But at the end of the day, again, it's the grace of the Lord being bestowed upon her and a great sign of that there. So this actually then will lead us into the next passage of our text, starting in verse 34. And this is where we start to see Mary responding. So it's not just questioning, figuring it out. She gets to her actual response, and this is to submit to him. When God changes your plans, submit to him. So Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Do you remember earlier when I said there's going to be further clarification that she is a virgin having never been with a man? Here it is. She's saying, how can I be pregnant if I'm a virgin? Obviously, it doesn't mean how can I be pregnant if I'm a young woman because young women get pregnant all the time. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the angel's giving her a larger insight. She's seeing a little bit of a bigger picture. Okay, the son of God. Maybe it's starting to to make sense to her. Maybe she's starting to put some pieces together. We don't see into her brain. We don't have that insight. Maybe she's starting to put some of those pieces together. But my guess is it's still not fully there. That's my guess, that it wasn't fully revealed at this point. Um, And she may be thinking things like, The power of the Most High will overshadow you again. She might be thinking this is lofty terms not to be understood in a literal sense. It's very possible. And then she goes on, uh, then he goes on, Gabriel goes on to her and says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And I want to pause there because I think that passage we just came out of the life of Abraham. That verbiage has to just ring true in our ears, right? It has to ring familiar. Think about this. In her old age, this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. She's conceived a son. Does that sound familiar to us? How about a little boy named Laughter, Isaac, right? Because Sarah laughed at how insane the idea was that in her old age, as a barren woman, she would give birth to a child. But it was a child of promise. This is another child of promise here. We have a child of promise that's being promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth that she would give birth. And here's the reason why. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's interesting because those previous verses, he's talking about a virginal conception, a woman who's never been with a man getting pregnant and giving birth. That's a miracle. And it's also a miracle for a barren woman who's never been able to have a child in her old age, my, my best guess is that she's well past childbearing years in her life and everything that would have happened physically inside of her, which is why it's a miracle for the Lord to do that. But an even more compelling miracle is what's going to happen in Mary. They're both compelling. They're both incredible. 
But with Mary, it's even more mind-boggling. And here's the reason why. For nothing will be impossible with God. And when I read that, it just immediately pulls my mind to the disciples who are questioning Jesus and asking him, because he says, it's easier for the, uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And the disciples are baffled by this. Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus' response is, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I think, so for me, when I read this now, in light of what we know happened historically, I read it and I just think of my own salvation, that I was saved even though it should be impossible. It should be impossible for any one of us to come to saving faith. But because of God's work in our hearts, we're drawn to him and we respond because of his work, because of his goodness. That which is impossible is made possible because with God, all things are possible. And now here is Mary's response. This is really the pinnacle. This is where we see Mary responding with trust. She's trusting in him, counting on him, and now submitting to him. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And that's the whole picture that we get of Gabriel coming to Mary. And we'll see in the future weeks her response even more fully played out and how she responds beyond this point. But this is something that we need to make note of. Mary submits in the face of an unknown future. This is a completely unknown future. She had an anticipation of her life. She's betrothed to be married to a man. And I'm sure she's planning what that life's going to look like, planning someday having kids with him. Do you guys know what the penalty was for adultery? Which she did not commit adultery. Let's clarify that. She did not. But the perception of anyone else, who's going to believe, yeah, God got me pregnant? Who's going to believe that? So she knows She doesn't know what's in store, but she knows, well, my plans have changed. Everything I've anticipated is about to change. But let it be to me as you have said, according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. That's total submission. She should likely, she could likely, I shouldn't say should, she would likely be stoned if they found her because they would assume there was an adultery that took place and that's how she got pregnant. That's the penalty by the Levitican law, by the law that was over the Israelites at that time. She could have been stoned. Joseph could have left her, not believing her story. That was a possibility, right? And we see in Matthew how that played out. The text there says he had planned to divorce her quietly. He had made plans to do that, quietly to not raise a fuss and get her killed because he cared for her. But still, those plans were there. And she would have these categories in her mind even when she submits to the Father. And that's what we need to look at. There's an uncertain future before her, but when she knew this was of the Lord, It didn't matter what would come her way, she was going to submit. She admitted, she said, I'm a servant of the Lord, let it be to me as you, according to your word. She might lose face with her family. There are so many possible outcomes that could come from this because people would likely not believe what she just experienced with the angel. And we know this too by later on when Jesus teaches in the temple, the people say, is not this the son of Joseph? They didn't say, is this not the son of God? And ultimately when he was crucified, he was tried for blasphemy because he claimed to be the son of God, which is claiming equivalency with God. That's why it was blasphemy that he was brought up on charges for. Now, we know that he truly was the son of God, and Gabriel announces it even before he was born, that he would be the son of God. But again, look at her response. With all these uncertainties floating around in her head, she chooses to submit to the Lord, knowing that his way is going to be better. His way is going to be better. We may not know what that means, but if it's, if it's your way, I know it's better than whatever I can understand. Maybe harder, likely will be, maybe more difficult, 
but it will be a way of obedience unto the Lord and it will reap a great reward at the end of this age. Now I want to return back then and tell you a little bit more about how my plans fell apart in Nashville, right? I thought I was going to drum. I thought this was my plan. I had all these plans. And then I realized I don't have a job. I don't have this and that. Well, it's interesting. I had planned what I would do. I had anticipated how this was going to play out. Lord had something else in store for me. Well, I met someone down there, and, um, and I didn't know, I didn't really know of her. I didn't know much about her. Uh, turns out she would end up being the greatest blessing second to Christ in my entire life. I met my beautiful bride, Amanda, while we were in Nashville. So here I was anticipating, I'm going to play with this band. I'm going to tour all around the world. I'm going to do these things to make a, make a name for Christ. And at the end of the day, I realized this is not playing out the way I anticipated and I just don't feel like I, I can stay in this band. I need to leave this band. So I left the band, but I was jobless. She was about to go on tour for eight weeks or something, and we were newly together, and I just said, Lord, you know I need a job. I've been applying. I've been doing this and that. He provided a job so I could stay in Nashville. Then my wife, retu- my, she was my wife then. Amanda returns from the tour, and, uh, <clears throat> and I was able to still be there. There was a chance I wouldn't even still be in Nashville because if I didn't have money, I was going to have to go move back in with my parents. I love my mom and dad, and they're great people, but I know they were praying that I would get a job too. <laughs> so all this happened, and then what's amazing is I look back now, I was able to do far more with my wife than I ever could have dreamed with that band, and even door, the Lord opening doors musically as we partnered in, as the Lord just faithfully laid out a plan for us that was way different than what I anticipated. But as I submitted to his will, he so faithfully guided and directed my life and my wife's life and, and now I just am so blown away by the blessings that I have received in that moment. I could have continued to say, no, I'm going to stick it out with this band. I could have tried to, you know, push forward. But at the end of the day, I knew this is not the right thing for me. This is not what I anticipated. But the, Lord, you have something else. So I'm going to trust in you. And he was so faithful and is so faithful. And we see that in Mary's life. She chose to submit. And you know she had troubles. You know she was going to have difficulties. There's no doubt about it, given her circumstance. And yet, she was blessed. She was given grace from the Lord so that she could continue on. So now, so what? What do we do with this? What does this mean for us? Well, ultimately, our so what's this week are the three points. There's nothing really additional to expand upon on there. Um, I would say the very first one, we may not know what God's purpose is and what he's doing. We need to choose to trust in him. Look at Abram's call in Genesis 12. When God called him, he said, go to the place I will show you. Abraham went. That's what the text says, and he obeyed. He went. Where's the place I will show you? God, do you want to, is that north, south, east, west? What's the place you'll show me? What, you want to give me some clarity? He just went. He went into the unknown in obedience. Same thing that we see with Mary here. And then the second thing, we need to count on him. Mary received favor and grace from the Lord, and we've received a greater grace. Emmanuel. God with us. When Jesus came, he said, I need to depart from you. It's, it's, it's needed, it's necessary that I leave so that I can send you the helper. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to carry on a, a different role than he had carried on in the Old Testament, to seal believers, to convict us of the truth, to equip us, to enable us to be obedient to the call, to empower us. It's incredible. That's the gift that the Lord gave us when he ascended. So we can count on him. He's given that to us. And we can count on that reality in our lives. And then lastly, God knows more than us. 
His plans are always better than ours, so we should submit to him. Total submission and total surrender to him will always end better for us than us trying to dig our heels in and do it our own way. No matter how good we might think that may be, submitting to him, knowing that his way is better than our way, even when we don't understand it, even when it's not what we anticipated, is always going to be better. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reality that you are one that we can trust in. Your word is true. Your promises are true. We can trust in you. And Lord, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit so that we can count on you. We can count on that strength within us when we feel temptation, which seems so overwhelming. You are faithful to provide a way out and you've given us your spirit to combat the lies of the enemy. You've given us your spirit to convict us and enable us to walk in obedience unto you. And Lord, thank you that you know better than we do. Even if we think at times in our arrogance that our plans are better or what we're going to choose to pursue, ah, it's better than what you have planned. Lord, that's just not true. Thank you that your plans are better than ours. You know us better than we know ourselves. And if we submit to you, Lord, there's a future that awaits us that is so much better than anything we can imagine. And it may be more difficult. It may have ups and downs. It it will. We know that. But Lord, you are faithful. And we don't want to live for ourselves. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? We want to live for you, Jesus. So we pray that as we continue to lift up your name and as we participate in communion this morning, as we continue in this time of fellowship and worship unto you, we pray that you would be glorified in us, that you would do the work in our hearts that only you can do. We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.